All right, if you can start making your way back to your seats. And you can go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Malachi, chapter 4. We're going to be closing out our study in Malachi uh, this Resurrection Sunday. And Tim is going to come up and read our passage for us. All right, our scripture reading is from the book of Malachi, verses 4 through 6. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for um, God, the way you are working in churches all over our county um, as, as um, people come to church, uh, maybe for the first time in, in a long time, um, as, as people um, gather uh, to, to hear your word preached, um, to hear the gospel proclaimed, to hear our Savior exalted. Father, we ask that your spirit um, would work in in every Christ-centered, gospel-believing congregation in, in our community. God, that you would use this as a as a day to to um, awaken those who have been asleep, um, to uh, draw uh, in those who have been far away, God, and to um, remind those uh, who are um, who are already in your family of, of the glories of your son uh, and his, of his victorious resurrection. Father, as we worship together, as we open your word, um, as we finish out our study in the book of Malachi, God, that you would use it to shape us and conform us to your son's image, um, that we would be closer to him because we had um, seen these things um, and because we were here today, God. We ask that your Holy Spirit would shine a light on this passage, um, that we would understand it rightly and apply it rightly to our lives. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, um, again, Malachi chapter 4, probably not a, a typical passage to do on Easter Sunday, um, but but we are ending there. Um, and I want to start not in Malachi, but in another place in Scripture, probably one of the most in my opinion, kind of strange um, and incredible events that happens in connection with the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and that is his encounter with the two men on the road to Emmaus. So you may be familiar with the story from Luke chapter 24. It tells the story of these two men who uh, have been followers of Jesus and they are leaving Jerusalem um, on that Sunday morning after uh, the, the crucifixion that has happened on the previous Friday. And on the road, they are talking about the events of the previous week um, that we call Holy Week. They are mourning over the fact that Jesus has been crucified. And they're also perplexed 
um, by the, what's happening. Because that very morning, some of the women who were also followers of, of Jesus had reported that they had seen Jesus alive um, that morning at the tombs, resurrected from the dead. And as they're talking together, suddenly another traveler um, comes alongside of them. And he begins to converse with them. And we find out that it is Jesus um, in disguise. His identity is hidden from, from these two disciples. Um, but as they talk and converse, they recount the events um, of, of, of the last few days. And at one point, Jesus comes in and says this to them. He says, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them to, uh, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay. So I begin in that passage, that section, um, because that's a place that we often go to when we're trying to, uh, confirm the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're t- we go to that passage when we're talking about how the Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus, all right? But what I want to sort of refine and zoom in in terms of our language today is that he not only, we're not only pointed to Jesus in the Old Testament, but we are prepared for Jesus in the Old Testament, right? God prepares our hearts for the coming of Jesus through the Old Testament. And I think that's what's going on in this passage that we're in Malachi today. Um, uh, we have at our old house, the one that, the one that Julie lives in now, um, we have two blueberry bushes that are in that, uh, at that house. And, um, uh, they've been there for a decade or more. And yet they still look like shriveled up little new sapling kind of, uh, bushes. Okay. And, and the reason for that is because, or at least I think it's because we did not prepare the soil well before we planted those two, two bushes. It turns out that blueberries are actually super finicky. Uh, and they have to have certain kinds of soil and certain kinds of everything. And, and they're not, they're not just kind of plant and walk away from kind of, kind of plants. And we didn't pay attention to that when we planted it. We just stuck them in the ground in a spot we had. And as a result, they've never really grown. Okay. They have stayed there and looked pitiful and shriveled up for, for literally probably a decade. So here's the deal. I think there's an analogy there for our hearts and for the church in general in a lot of ways. So, so we talk about t- sometimes about how there are some churches that are very focused on, uh, you know, uh, getting people saved, getting people to walk an aisle and pray a prayer and come down front and, and get baptized. And, and for the, the purposes of this illustration, we'll call that a, a planting ministry, right? They really want to get people planted. Okay. Um, and then other people come along and say, and you can't just stop there. You can't just stop with people, uh, getting them saved, getting them planted. You've got to come back and you've got to feed and you've got to weed and you've got to nurture these plants so that they'll be fruitful. And so we could maybe call that like a watering kind of ministry. Okay. But here's, here's the idea that I'm trying to, to get across. Um, is it, it might be the case that we're already on the wrong track at that point. And the reason is, is because we have not properly prepared the soil ahead of time. And so then even though we plant well and even though we water well, there's a whole lot of something missing or maybe the fruitfulness is not as much as it could have been because we didn't prepare the hearts ahead of time um, for receiving the gospel. I think the Old Testament does that. The Old Testament, particularly our passage here today, it points us to Christ, but it prepares our hearts for Christ. 
And so as we come to this last section in Malachi, the last passage in the entire Old Testament, I want to zoom in on kind of three things as we look at it. You see words at the beginning of each of the three verses. Remember, see, turn. All right. So the first idea is that of remembering. Remember, it says in verse four, the law of my servant Moses and the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. So we see the call to remember all throughout the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament. We're called to remember the Sabbath. We're called to remember the covenant. We're called to remember that we were slaves. We're called to remember what the Lord has done. Um, most of the holy days in the Old Testament are functions of remembrance in some way. They're pointing towards an event. They're pointing towards a provision. We talked just last week in Malachi about the book of remembrance that we saw, right? This idea that, that God is, is writing uh, the names of the faithful in this book of remembrance in the heavens. And so here, we're called to remember the law of Moses, And as we do, we're called to remember how far we have strayed from it, right? How far we have missed the mark when it comes to the standards that God has set forth in his word. As we weigh our lives in the scales of God's word according to his law, we are found wanting, okay? And you can zoom in on the Ten Commandments. Or you can zoom out a little bit and you can very quickly see that, man, we have just not been the kind of people that God intended us to be. We also remember, he talks about here at Mount Horeb. He says, this is where I gave the law to you. That's a a call, I think, to remember his power and his glory and even his grace. Because God wasn't, he didn't just give us his law and walk away. He wasn't just an absentee kind of king. Horeb is the mountain that we usually call Mount Sinai, okay? So sometimes that's a little confusing because it's called different things in different places, but it is the place where God gave the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, particularly to Moses. We remember that that event was preceded by the miraculous redemption that happened um, freeing Israel from slavery. The incredible power that was seen of God as he parted the Red Sea and led them to safety the display of his glory and majesty at the mountain of God itself as it was ringed in fire and cloud and the people were commanded not even to set foot on the edge of the mountain because of God's holiness. Even when Moses, the man of God, stood before God and said, God, will you show me your glory? God said, you couldn't handle my glory. If you were to see my glory, it would destroy you. But this is what I will do. I'll let you see the back of me as I am passing by. The point of all that is to say this. We can never look to God and never blame him as if he wasn't there enough for us. Okay? God says, I have given you my word. I have given you my presence. You have seen my power. And yet, you have lived in ungodliness. You have lived in idolatry. You were the ones who followed after the golden calf. We follow after any number of golden calves in our own lives. You have squandered the revelation that I gave to you. That's the first thing to remember as we come. What we need to do is recognize how far we have fallen. How far and how wide we have missed the mark. How prideful we have been against God. 
Okay, so that's the beginning, not just though to look back and remember, but to see the situation we find ourselves in now, because the gospel, while it plants that foundation of how far we have fallen, there's there's good news as well. Verse five, it says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. We're told in several places in the book of Malachi that there is going to be this forerunner prophet before this thing called the the the, the, the great and dreadful day of the Lord, right? Malachi 3, verse 1, I will send my messenger who will prepare a way before me. We see again in this passage. And so what we find out is when we get to the New Testament, we find out who that, that, that forerunner is. That forerunner is John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 11 tells us, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. All right? John breaks that 400-year silence between between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in a similar way that Samuel was sort of the last judge and the first prophet, John the Baptist becomes the last prophet and, in a sense, the first evangelist. He is the first one telling the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ. And it may very well be the case that Elijah's ministry is not over yet. It's cool when you start looking at this passage. It's one of those things, and I love coming to the Word of God because I learn new things every time. When I came to this passage and you start studying it, you realize the great and glory dreadful day of the Lord is a day in the future, right? This is the end times that he's talking about. And Elijah comes before it as well. And so Elijah may come again. He's not, his, his, his prophetic preparatory ministry is, is, is not over. Um, we may see another coming of Elijah before the end times. But the point, um, and the thing that I want to zoom in on here, is the fact that this day of judgment is preceded by the coming of a prophet who reminds people of the grace of God in that moment. Certainly, there's no question that we've sinned right now. There's no question that this day of judgment is coming, but it's not this day, right? It's not today. Today is the day that God has allowed for his grace to be extended, for mercy to be offered, and for us to have an opportunity to be reconciled to him. We live in a moment of grace. You could say, in a way, we still live in the days of Elijah, in a sense. Days when, in the days of John the Baptist, where prophets and preachers, ambassadors of God, which we all are if we're followers of Christ, are still extending invitations, still extending saying, hey, be reconciled to God. Come home. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. Judgment is coming, but it's not here yet. You still have time. You still have time. There may not be a tomorrow. Okay? You, you remember the song, uh, I hope I, I can live like I was dying or I can live like there's no tomorrow? Man, I want us to live like we're dying. But I don't think that should include us like jumping out of airplanes and like going on our dream vacations. That's not what we do to live like we're dying. To live like we're dying is to live and take advantage of the grace of God that is offered to us right now, right? To take the opportunity to turn to God right now. That's what it should be, mean to live like there's not going to be a tomorrow. What a waste of your last day on earth to jump out of a plane, right? What a waste of your last day on earth to, to go do some fun thing that you've never done before. Turn to Jesus. Don't despise the grace of God in this moment. So remember how far we've fallen. See the opportunity for grace that is extended to you right now. 
in the coming of Elijah before the coming of Christ. But then this last thing is he talks about turning. Okay. And he doesn't, at, at first, you know, like in, if, that, you know, if I said, Hey, I'm going to preach a sermon about remember, see, and, and turn, you'd probably think, Oh, about like return, turning from your sin. It's going to be about repentance or whatever. But the context is a little different here because he says this ministry that Elijah is going to have is going to be about turning the hearts of parents or fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. That's what Elijah is going to come to do. So now some people are kind of confused by this prophecy because they look at John's ministry in the gospels and they say, I don't know exactly how John did that. What did John do to reconcile fathers and sons um, or, or children and parents with each other? Um, it's, it's hard to see a direct correlation of what it says, but we know that it did happen somehow. It's in the prophecy that Zechariah, John's father, receives about him in Luke chapter 1. The angel reveals to Zechariah that he will be, he will bring many people of Israel back to their, the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of parents to their children and to do the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's the key phrase, right? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. It's specifically referencing the, the prophecy that we see in, in the book of Malachi. Right. Um, this idea of children and parents being reconciled. OK, so what does that mean? What is the point of that? What is it that John the Baptist is doing? How is he reconciling parents and children? OK, well, it may be that he's actually doing it. Mothers and fathers are being reconciled to fathers. I mean, uh, sons and daughters. The relationships are being reconciled. Grudges are being put behind them. Past wrongs are forgiven. OK, that may be what's happening. It may be metaphorical. In the sense that what is happening is children representing the people of, of Israel at the time are being reconciled to their fathers, to the covenant of the Old Testament, to the, to the, to the commands of God in, in a metaphorical way. But we don't know for sure which one it's pointing to, but, but you might at the end of the day say, well, cool, Ash, man, what's the point? Like, who cares about John the Baptist's ministry? This is Easter, right? Like, it's Resurrection Sunday. Why are we talking about John the Baptist's ministry? Um, on Resurrection Sunday, what difference does it make? Well, I think it makes all the difference in a sense. Because as we close out the Old Testament, we learn that John's ministry is, is basically a gospel primer. Okay. John the Baptist's ministry is preparing our hearts to receive Jesus Christ. That message of the gospel, right? We could just kind of rehash the exact things that we've seen in this passage. What is the message of the gospel? Well, it starts out saying, remember that how far you've fallen. Remember that your God and Father, his king and king, has shown you his character, commanded you through his law. And brothers and sisters, we have missed it. Like we have not lived according to that. And not just people out there, right? Not just them. We have not lived according to those things. Every inclination of my heart resists the authority of God in my life. At least the stuff that's in me. From Eden to today, whether God is commanding who I'm supposed to love or how I'm supposed to spend my money or who, how I'm supposed to worship or how I'm supposed to sacrifice. Notice all of those are themes that we've talked about in the book of Malachi. We push against it. We live in contradiction, contradiction to it. We doubt God and call it wisdom. We reject God and call it openness. We seek self-destruction and call it freedom. And we're called to remember. Remember. 
Remember, it was never supposed to be this way. And see, see even now that God is calling you back. There is going to be a day of consequence for all of us. But it's not this day. This may be the 11th hour, but you've still got time to turn to the Lord. The great and dreadful day of the Lord is coming, but it's not here yet. God is merciful and gracious. And in the moment, he extends forgiveness to us right now. And so what must we do? Well, we need to turn, okay? And again, not just repentance, although that would be a right idea, but turn back from the from denying God's relationship to us. From denying, um, we need to turn away from that self-separating, self-segregating, self-estrangement that we have with God, who is our Father. Those parents reconcile to their children. The children reconcile to their father. That's heart-shaping, okay? So here's the deal. This is what I think he's kind of getting at there. What's going on is, is we're supposed to realize that being reconciled to the Father is not just about checking some boxes on things that we know. It's not, even though we are supposed to know certain things, it's not just checking boxes on living in a certain way and, and, and doing certain things. Although there's certain things that we're supposed to do, right? To be reconciled to God is to be made right with a person at whom we are at odds with. And that is God. I need to be forgiven. I need to be welcomed home. Okay. It's easy. And that's why I think he gives this illustration. You know what happens is, you know why, and we've talked about this all the time. You know why a lot of people have a problem with God? Because they had a problem with their dads. Or they had a problem with their parents in general, right? There is something in their hearts related to the relationship and authority of, of that parental figure. And man, we push against it and we buck against it. And so I don't know which one came first if we rebelled against God and that makes us rebel against our parents or we rebel against our earthly parents and that makes us rebel against God. And I don't know which one gets fixed first all the time. Sometimes I think what Paul, I mean, what, what Malachi is pointing to and the ministry of John the Baptist is pointing to is to say, you know what, if you'll get right with your kids and your kids will get right with you, if you'll forgive your parents and let your parents forgive you, if you will reconcile with them, man, that will start to till up the soil of your heart to receive the reconciliation with your heavenly father. Okay. To prepare you for the kind of relationship that you're supposed to have. And again, sometimes that works the other way around. Sometimes we get right with God first and then we reconcile those earthly relationships. But I think there's, it it, it can go both ways on this. And so at that point, we know our need. We know we're sinners, right? We know we need to be reconciled to the father and we know we need to take advantage of this moment of grace. But how? How do we do? How do we do that? And this is the point at which John the Baptist says, I have nothing left to offer at this point. I can't do anything else for you. I'm going to take a step back into the background. And this is the point in which Jesus Christ comes forward um, and accomplishes this reconciliation to the utmost for us. Jesus comes and he obeys the law perfectly. He lives in complete obedience to the word and the will of his father. And on the basis of that righteousness, he can give his life as a sacrificial offering to lay down for all of us. Jesus' death on the cross satisfies God's wrath, his justice. And in that act, then 
this age of grace dawns. Again, a day before the coming of the Lord, a day before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, when all are called to come to Jesus Christ, all are called to acknowledge their sin, all are called to believe that Jesus' death is sufficient for our salvation to confess him as Lord. And then his resurrection, which we could talk many things about what the resurrection means and how it applies to our lives, but it is the seal of that saving work for sure that the father has accepted and approved of Christ's sacrifice and that death and sin have no power over him, that the grave has no claim on him. And it has no claim on those who belong to Jesus Christ by faith either. And so this is the moment at the end, the 11th hour, the day before the day of the Lord. Where Malachi and Elijah, John the Baptist and Jesus all call to us and say, come home. Right? Christ says, I will be your friend. Let me introduce you to the creator. I will be your captain. Let me reintroduce you to your king. I will be your husband. Let me bring you into my father's house. And he will be your father as well. What I pray is that if you're here today and you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that today would be the day that you would turn to him. Be honest about your sins before God. Not trusting in your own ability. Not thinking that, well, I'll try to get those things worked out, Ash. And then once I've cleaned up my life, then I'll come to Christ. If you wait till you're worthy of coming to him, you'll never come at all. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you want to know him. I would love for you to come and have a conversation with me after we, we end here today. We can meet up sometime during this week. We can, we can get coffee. And I would love to tell you how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ to receive him as your Lord and Savior. So let's go to the Lord right now and pray to that very end. That if there is anyone here today who does not know Christ as Savior, that God would eat you up that your heart would be so unsettled that you couldn't do anything else until you knew that you were right with God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, your word prepares our hearts. God, as we are, as we are convicted about who you are, about what you have called us to and commanded us uh, to do, God, as we look in our own hearts and see see the the weakness and inability, uh, God, the rebellion and the pride, God, you show us the situation that we are in through your word. God, you show us the only suitable and acceptable Savior uh, who can get us out of that. Father, I pray again that you would work in our hearts, God. If there are those here today who believe they know you and yet truly they do not, God, that you would convict them, that you would use your word to convict them of those things. God, if there are those here today who have walked in in uh, defiance um, or, um, God, in a way that just ignores you altogether, 
God, that you would begin to stir their spirits through the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would draw them to yourself. God, help us come alongside those who are seeking Jesus Christ. Help us share the gospel rightly. Um, God, let us encourage those um, as they draw near to your son. We thank you. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing our closing song. great to see you. I hope you have a great um, Resurrection Sunday. Hey, Thomas, thank you, man. Um, so most of y'all most, uh, you're, you're here, who are here regularly, um, you know that Thomas is not normally with us. Um, Thomas is a student up at Johnson University, and, and he came in to to uh, pinch hit for, for Marlin today, and so um, thank you for that. We appreciate you being here, man. Uh, you did a great job. Amy, thank you as always. Um, uh, beautiful songs. Love these songs. 
Um, I hope they stay in your hearts today as, as you go and you share time with family and friends, um, but continue to carry that, that spirit of worship into your life. Um, here's this benediction as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Turn his face towards you and give you peace. We'll see you next week.